Week four of our series that we're calling It's Who We Are. As we look at seven core values uh, of who we are as both the church staff and as people within the church. Um, I hope you've uh, been following along over the last three weeks. Um, and, and we've had some people who have said, hey, uh, these are all great, but I want you to know I'm, I'm running out of space to take notes. Uh, I've used the previous sermon notebooks, and I've got like a week left, so you've got to do something. So uh, before we jump in this morning, I, I wanted to encourage you to pick one of these up. Uh, These sermon note booklets, those are out in the entryway uh, in a basket. We've ran a hundred of these, so if you want to grab one, make sure you get those today. Uh, I'm really encouraged by those of you who take notes, but not just take notes, you refer back to them. That's pretty cool. So uh, if you need one, grab one. Those are our gift to you. Uh, And once we get rid of those first 100, we'll do another order of those. So make sure you grab one of those today. Uh, Over the last three weeks, what we have done is, is tried to lay out some biblical qualities that we as a a church leadership and and by extension we as a church and individual believers should hold dear. And so we started in week one saying that our first core value is that we're going to work hard to glorify God. Colossians 3.23, we are going to work hard for the glory of God. Whether that's in the church, whether serving the body, whether outside of the church, we are going to be a people who are known by our hard work. We are a hard-working people. And then we said in week two, we're filled to be emptied. The reason why we, we come here, the reason why we hear the word preach is to go and pour into others. The reason you've heard the gospel message now is to go and take that gospel message to the people around you. We are filled to be emptied. And the last week, uh, we had a sermon that, that actually really resonated with people. It was something that we said is so ingrained in who we are, in our culture, in what we do, the way we interact with one another, but it's something that God hates. We said, as a church, we resolve to be a people to where there is no gossip. We we confront each other directly. We build each other up. And man, I had so many conversations this week that were built around that. I I was at a birthday party later on Sunday afternoon, and and a bunch of us guys were kind of standing around, and the comment was made, so what do we talk about today? (laughs) Like, what do we do? It it was the quietest birthday party there ever was. but, But it is something that we are called to be. We're called to be a people who encourage one another who build each other up. And so we get to week four, and what I want to remind you is that each week does not invalidate the weeks prior. All right, so this is a collection of core values, so we're holding to week one just as much as we are now in week four. So all of these make up who we are. And so this morning, we're resolving to be a people of strong character. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to spend all of our time this morning in Titus, Uh, towards the back half of the New Testament. Titus chapter 2 is where we'll spend a lot of our time this morning. I always like to give you the context of uh, of what's being written, who it's written to, what what surrounding circumstances are going on that kind of led to the writing of this letter. And so uh, the context of Titus is, is this. Written by Paul, in fact, most of the New Testament is, is written by Paul. This is another letter from Paul written to a man that has been sort of a, a guy that he has mentored in the faith, a guy who has gone on missionary journeys with him, a guy who has seen the gospel message being taken out, a guy who has heard the gospel message from Paul himself. 
Now Paul is raising him up to maturity in the faith. And, and so Paul, as he's writing this, is most likely in Corinth. And so he is writing to a man who he has left behind on the island of Crete, right next to Greece. And he's left Titus behind to do one thing and one thing only, to preach the gospel. And as you preach the gospel, what inevitably will end up happening is you're going to launch these churches. You're going to start churches around the island of Crete. And we get this clue from Titus chapter 1. And now as we kind of work through the first chapter of Titus and and see how it influences the second, here's what you need to understand. With this establishing of the church, so starting from this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, now this is what you're to do, launch churches that are built around making more disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul comes to the conclusion. You need biblically qualified elders You need these men who are so deeply ingrained in their trust of Jesus, their love of the gospel, that they are leading the church to walk in righteousness. Because what he's found up to this point is that the church in Crete is really this organized mess. There's no leadership. There's no one holding people accountable. It's just kind of whatever belief you want to gravitate towards, just use that and implement that. And so Paul tells Titus, the first thing you've got to do as you establish these churches is bring in biblically qualified elders to lead the church, to encourage them, to hold them accountable, to teach them. This is where you're to start. And the reason why is is pretty simple. It's the same reason why we have biblically qualified elders in our church. It's because the church is only as spiritually healthy as its leaders, You want to see a church that is weak spiritually, you'll probably find weak spiritual leadership. And so Paul recognizes, like, this is of utmost importance as we launch the church. You need to have strong spiritual leaders in the church. Here's here's the irony of this. Later on in chapter 1, Paul's going to lay out this picture of, this is kind of the culture that you're choosing these men from. The men of Crete, and and really all of the people of Crete, were known for certain characteristics. They were known for certain ways of living, and and Paul says, this is the crop of people you're choosing from. Listen to what he lays out in verse 12 and 13. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This was a, from one of Crete's own prophets. This is what he said about his own people. And then Paul comes to this conclusion. After having been around them, after having seen how they live, he says, this saying is true. And everything that's said about the men and women and children of Crete, yeah, it's pretty true. This is the way that they live. They're always liars. They're evil brutes. They're lazy gluttons. This is a society in mess. And so Paul says, as you choose these leaders for the church, you got to choose wisely. you got to be careful who you choose to put in charge of the church in Crete because, again, a church is only as healthy as its leaders. And at the same time, what Paul writes to Titus is that you've got this group of, of Jews. We don't know whether they're necessarily believers in Christ. The, the text seems to suggest that they're not. But he says they're, they're members of this circumcision group, meaning, meaning they had all of these outside ideas that 
were really what it meant to follow God. If you're going to follow God correctly, these are the things you must do. And Paul says that, that they're throwing the church in Crete into chaos because they're preaching a message that's actually in opposition to Jesus. Because in, in, instead of salvation by Christ alone, what they're preaching is, hey, the, the way you're saved, the way you know you're a good person, so to speak, is by doing all of these superficial things that are really centered less in the gospel and more in Jewish mysticism. Like there's just this mystery that's surrounding God. And, and if you do these things, then you'll have this secret knowledge. And they're building this belief system based on this. And Paul says, this is, this is not the foundation that we build the church on. In fact, what you build the foundation of the church on is what inevitably the people of the church are going to live their life based upon. And so this is why Paul is adamant that you get biblically qualified leaders that set this foundation for the church because what he knows is that it's going to inform the way that the believers in the church in Crete will live. And so he's going to come to chapter 2. He's laid out the context. This is, this is what you're up against. And he comes to chapter 2, and he shifts his focus to Titus, and he gives him this charge. So, so armed with the truth of this is who the men and women of Crete are, he says this to Titus in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. What he's doing here is he's making a clear dividing line. When he says, you, however, he's making this statement of, okay, this is what the outside world looks like in Crete, but you, you're called to be different. You're, you're called to live and speak in such a way that validates what you claim to believe. So your speech, your action they are in line with the doctrinal truths that, that you are proclaiming. And the point of all this is that it is in direct opposition to the way that this message is typically proclaimed in Crete. When he says, you, however, there's a clear dividing line that, that you're different as opposed to those around who, who teach one thing, but yet their lives proclaim a different message. And this is what he finds as he observes the church in Crete. They're, they're saying some things, and there's some doctrinal truth in there sometimes, but, but they're living in a way that is totally opposed to the message that they're proclaiming. So Titus, you're called to be different. And so what Paul is saying here is not simply speak these words to these people. When he says, you teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, what he's really talking about is teaching in the truest sense of the word. You and I have, have had Teachers, whether in, in school, whether it's just in our life, whether it's in the church, that have taught one thing, but their lives declare a different message. And what Paul is saying here is that teaching in the truest sense of the word is when the message and the actions that follow are in line with one another. Your lives teach the same thing that your mouth is teaching. And so Paul gives Titus this charge. First and foremost, your, your life matters. Your life and what you say must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And when Titus is encouraged with this idea of teaching sound doctrine, he, he's saying essentially, you need to have these core beliefs 
based on the scripture, based on who God is, and your life is lived out of the overflow of that. So Titus, teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Your life and your speech are in line with who God is and the life that he has called you to. And so what we're going to find is that in chapter 2, you're going to see this cycle of discipleship. You're going to see this cycle of of older generations teaching younger generations. And, And while this is appropriate for the church in Crete, it's appropriate for the church in Louisville too. The church works best when there's this cycle of discipleship happening. The older generation teaching the younger generation, growing them into maturity. And as a response, they teach the younger generation. This is how the church works best. This is how discipleship is done. And so as we look at the text, what you see is, oh, this is, this is the directive for the church. This is the directive, not just for the church in Crete, but for Redbrush Christian Church as well. So he comes to verse 2 of chapter 2. And he's going to begin this cycle of teaching with, with different groups of people in different generations. And he says this. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. What you'll find is, is right away, what Paul has, has given a charge to Titus about in regards to the older men is in direct opposition to what he said is the norm in Crete. Remember, even, even Crete's own philosophers and prophets have said, Cretes are, are liars, they're evil brutes, they're lazy gluttons. Now to contrast this, Paul is telling Titus, you teach the older men to be temperate, mild-mannered, not not quick-tempered. You teach them to be men that are worthy of respect. You teach them to be men who are self-controlled. You're going to see this as a recurring theme in everything that Paul is teaching Titus in this. And then he ends with this. He says, you teach them, teach the older men to be sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. What Paul is doing here, and it's why where he is as of this writing is so important. Paul, remember, is in Corinth as he's writing this, where he's written to the church two times, First and Second Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, many of you know this, like this is one of those key verses that you memorized when you were young. He said, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Of course, in this context, in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the desire or or the the draw for all of these spiritual gifts. And, And Paul says to the church, he says, you're seeking after all of these things, but you're neglecting the basic tenets of a relationship with Christ. So you're seeking all these signs and wonders, and yet you're failing to love God and love people. You're failing to, to believe the truth of who he is, and you're, you're failing to have the hope that he will do what he said he's going to do. And so he's reminding the church in Crete the same exact thing. Teach the older men to be sound in faith, to be sound in love, And in endurance, which endurance is an outflow 
of the hope you have. So he's telling the older men in the church in Crete, hold, hold tight to Jesus Christ. And, and as that flows out of you, what inevitably ends up happening is you're going to love God and do what he said to do and love the people around you. And what is, what is building this framework? Well, it's, it's you being sound in endurance or, or the hope that, that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. God has, has saved me now, and he's going to return and make all things new. So I'm living in light of that hope. Teach the older men to live in this way. And then he jumps to the women, the older women. He says, teach the older women to be reverent. In other words, he's saying, teach them to have a deep respect and love for God. Because the actions often flow from this. If, I, if, if I've got a deep awe and love for who God is and what he's done, then what flows is I'm going to want to do what he said to do. So he says, start with this. Teach them who God is. Teach them to love and respect God. And what flows is, is, is they're going to they're gonna live differently. It's going to drastically alter the way that they live that is in direct opposition to the culture around them. And so, inevitably, this is what the culture around them looks like. He says, remind them not to be slanderers. Right? This goes right along with what we preached last week. Remind them not to be gossips. Remind them not to be liars. Remember that in order to love people, we're not, we're not talking about them. We're encouraging to them, or we're confronting to them. So remind the older women not to be slanderers, not to be gossips and liars, and not to be addicted to too much wine. And what follows, the reason why, is because you are called, as older women, to teach what is good. Out of your reverence for Christ, teach what is good, both with your words and with your life. And what Paul is, is painting a picture of and you can start to see is that the older men and the older women that are in the church in Crete are called to look different than the culture around them. Paul is not saying, hey, you keep, keep one foot in the church here and one foot in the world. Right, make sure you, you, you can relate to the people around you. Make sure that your actions are, are, are in line with the norms of the day. No, he's saying you look different. Because the message that you're preaching is different. And so what follows here in verse 4 is, is why this matters. Because he's kind of shifted his focus to the older women, and, and he ends that section by saying, you, you teach what is good. Well, who are they called to teach what is good to? Well, the answer is in verse 4. Then they, meaning the older women, can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So Paul's charge to the older women is to give a charge to the younger women, love your husbands and children. Like be, be focused on loving and serving your husband and children to raise them up in the knowledge of who Jesus is. 
Older women encourage the younger women to be self-controlled and pure. And then he says something that often gets a lot of controversy. (laughs) He says, encourage them to be busy at home. Listen, I've heard this taught so many different ways, and I want to come to the truth of what Paul is actually saying. Paul is not discouraging women from working outside of the home. What Paul is saying is this, that as it relates to your household, you, as a God-fearing woman, should be so consumed by the affairs of your own house, by loving and serving your husband and your children, that you don't have time to concern yourself with the affairs of others. So he started this section by saying, we don't want you to be slanderers. We don't want you to be gossips. We don't want you to be busybodies and involved with the affairs of other people's homes. No, no, focus on your own. This is what he's saying. Be busy at home, loving your family, that you're unconcerned or uninvolved with the affairs of others' households. Be busy at home. Be kind. Then we come to another controversial subject. Be subject to your husbands. Over the years in ministry, this has been one of those things that um, starting out I felt like I needed to apologize for. Nah. Not anymore. Because what Paul is laying out is, is this is the way that Christian households work best. And you see this in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is, has laid out that there is a delegation of leadership within the home. Men, you are called to be the leaders of your family. This is not something to be lorded over with power over your family and and with a strong fist. It's something that comes from being subject to God, of, of serving him. It is following Jesus' leadership, and as a result, as you're following him, the resulting action is that you're going to lead your family in the ways of God. This is not something to be lorded over. In fact, this is something to tremble at, men. That you are responsible for your household. The spiritual health of your household, it rests on your shoulders. This is what God has called you to. And as a result, as as Paul lays out that women are to be subject to their husbands, the point of that is this. Remember, he's speaking to believers. And so he's saying, men, as you are subject to Christ... Wives, you're called to be subject to your husbands because your husband, if he's following Christ, is something you want to submit to. And so he's given us, this is the roles of of men and women in the family. Men, you're to be the spiritual leaders of your household. Women, you're to be subject to your husbands as he is subject to Christ. And as a result, you're leading your family well as well. You're, you're loving your husband. You're, you're loving and serving your children. You have a role to play. 
And Paul's not saying one is greater value than the other. He's saying, no, these are, these are different but complementary roles that make the Christian household work. When men lean into their roles that God has called them to be, when women lean into their roles that God has called them to be, the Christian household works. And Paul's going to get to why this matters. He says the, the, the way you structure your home matters because if it's in disarray, he says this at the end of verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God. So that no one will, will see the word of God and, and say, well, this is how God has, has structured the family. This is how God has called believers to act and behave both in society and within their household. He says, and if they look at you and your household and see, this isn't the way they live. The conclusion that they will come to is, why does any of this matter? What, what, what benefit does the word of God have in my life? Why do I need to follow God's word? And so the reason why we are people of strong character, first and foremost, this comes from who God has called us to be, the, the directive that he's given us in his word. But the way believers live is painting a picture in the minds of others as to the truth of God's word. This is what Paul lays out at the end of chapter 5, or verse 5. He says, the way that you live paints a picture as to the truth of God's word. So he jumps to verse 6, and he says, similarly, he jumps back to the older men. This is the charge t Titus is giving you. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and a soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Paul says, Older men, you need to be self-controlled so that in your teaching to the younger men to be self-controlled, they can see that, that this is legit. That this is the way to live. And they're going to see that through the way that you teach and the, through the actions in the way that you live. Young men, be self-controlled. You, you see this theme over and over and over again. Whether it's the older men, the younger men, older women, younger women, Paul is continually reminding Titus to encourage the church, be self-controlled. John MacArthur, in his commentary, suggests this, that believers should have the discernment, discretion, and judgment that comes from walking with God for many years. They control their physical passions and they reject worldly standards and resist worldly temptations. They refuse to be conformed to this world but are transformed daily by a renewed mind bathed in Scripture. And so as Paul lays out that, that each of these generations, each of these two genders are, are to be self-controlled, it, it comes from this place of a daily walking with Christ. So self-controlled is not simply you, you try harder. This is what we often peg as self-control. I'm just, I'm just going to try harder not to do these things, even though everything in me wants to pursue those. No, Paul is saying, 
bathed in your relationship with Christ, feeding on the word of God, have self-control that is coming from you being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Exhibit self-control. And then there's something that feels almost out of place as we continue down to verse 9. Paul comes to the subject of slaves. And I believe he comes to this subject as to say that that as believers, regardless of, of social class, regardless of where you are in life, this is what you're to exhibit. You're to be a people of strong character. You're to be a people of integrity that comes from understanding who God is and what he's called us to do. And so he, he lays out this idea of, of slaves, the lowest of the low. And what he's saying is that following God and being obedient to him is not dictated by where you are or your circumstances in life. And so he comes to slaves and he says, teach the slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching of God, about God our Savior attractive. So the overarching theme of each of these directives to different generations of men and women, different social classes, is this. Submission to Jesus changes the way that you live. Obedience to God and his word changes the way that you live. And the conclusion that Paul comes to is, people will see this. People will see that there is a life that is lived differently through you. And he lays out at the end of verse 10, And that's going to be attractive. That's going to start this questioning of of what is is different. Because these men and women who claim the name of Jesus Christ certainly look different than how Cretans are normally known. And so he's reminding all of us how you live in light of who Jesus is matters. So the question is, what is fueling Or what is driving this better way of living that Paul is encouraging the church in Crete to live? What is driving it? Well, he's he's laid this out back in chapter 1. At the very opening of his letter, he has given the reasons for his writing. The reasons why everything that follows is to be lived. He says in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, here's why, to further the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior. So Paul lays out four main purposes of this letter to Titus. The first is this, to reinforce the faith of the believers in Crete. this This is what you believe, this is why you believe it. This is why it's true. It follows to the second point, to increase their knowledge of the truth. To remind them, listen, the world is preaching a different message. But this is the truth. God's word is the truth. Why? The third point, the third reason is that believers would walk in godliness. 
the believers would live differently. Not on their own power, but because of the salvation that has come to them, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that enables them to walk in the ways of God. He says, I, I, want, I want you to walk in this. I want you to live differently. And he says again at the fourth point, it's kind of repetitive, but he says, again, I, I want to reinforce the faith of believers in the church in Crete. Like, this is true. This is the way to live. And so I'm writing this so that, so that it would reinforce your belief in Jesus Christ, that it would reinforce the way that he has called you to live so that others would see that the gospel message is different and they would see it through you. So he continues in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And so as, as Paul talks about faith, as he encourages Titus to, to reinforce their faith, what I want you to understand is this. Paul is not advocating for a blind faith. Paul is not asking the church to, to reorient the way that they live their lives based on some, some wing and a prayer. No, Paul is saying because of who God is, because the, that we all can acknowledge he sent his son, I want you to see that that, that hope of salvation is here. So it's not something that, that you can't tangibly grasp, something that you can't fathom. No, no, Jesus has come. He has saved you. And so now you're not living for something that is just blind faith out of reach. No, no, Christ has come. You can believe in this, and now it informs the way that you live. Verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So Paul again is, is saying, listen, because of, of who Jesus is, and I want, I want to remind you of this, as we lay out these core values, this is what they're all rooted in. If we're doing this just for good behavior, we're wasting our time. No, we're, we're doing this because of the gospel of Christ. This informs the core beliefs that we have, the way that we live. Like if Jesus is real, if he has come, if he has died to save us, then that drastically changes things. And so Paul is reminding us, because this is true, then what follows in the way that he has called believers in Christ to live is worthy of being followed. And this is the way you're to orient your lives. Verse 15. These, then, are the things that you should teach. Teach people in light of Christ. This is how you're to live. Not just to be good moral people, but as a way to show that Christ redeems believers. As a way to show that, that there's something different about believers. What is it? Well, it's the transformation through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. This is what is different. So these, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority, and do not let anyone despise you. 
Paul recognizes that Titus is preaching to a culture that is saying and living the exact opposite. Paul recognizes that Titus will experience this pushback against this way of living that is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely counter-cultural. And he says this, he says, encourage and rebuke with all authority. What he's essentially saying is this, this is true. This is the way to live. Jesus is the Son of God, is the Savior of the world. So, so as this this discouragement as this persecution may come you encourage and rebuke with all authority because this is the truth it's the foundation worth building your life upon so as we end this section the question is well why why does the way that i live matter well it matters because in the way that we live, in obedience to Christ, what you'll find is that it communicates a message. Now, I will never subscribe to the idea that, that as believers, we're simply called to just live this and never speak the gospel. No, you and I as believers are called to, to live and preach the gospel both in word and in action together. That's, that's the non-negotiables. What Paul is saying is this. We live and work with integrity of strong character because of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the advancement of the gospel. So if you're sitting there this morning thinking, the way that I live doesn't matter. What Paul's letter to Titus should do is is totally blow up this false ideology. No, you're called to live differently. You're called to live differently. There is a a growing sense within the church at large, and to be quite honest with you, it has been fueled by the church, that says that our goal, especially as, as church leadership, is to just get you baptized, to get you saved, and then whatever happens to you after that, nah, it's your problem. We just want to pad our stats. What Paul is saying is this, is is when the church works correctly, there's a couple things that you're going to see. The first is a reverence for Jesus Christ. And the second is a new way of living. And the third is this cycle of discipleship that Paul has given to to Titus that has said now as, as older men, as you grow in maturity in Jesus Christ, your response is to teach the younger men. Older women, as you grow in maturity in Jesus Christ, your response is to teach the younger women. This is how the church works. And what this does is is bring you into the mission. Because once again, I I do not subscribe to the idea that, that somehow I'm a varsity Christian and you're JV because you're sitting there and I'm up here. No, you you get to be a part of this. In fact, you have just as much of a role in this as I do. Yeah, my role is to teach, but our, our role together is to encourage, is to hold accountable, is to, to teach one another that in reverence for Christ, we're gonna change the way that we live. Don't buy the ideology that what you do doesn't matter. No, the way that you live communicates a message to a world 
that is living in opposition to it. And so we as, as Red Brush Christian Church resolve to be a people of strong character. We live and work with integrity because of the gospel and for the advancement of the gospel. Father, may that be said of us. Lord, would you continue to refine and, and remake us through your word, through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. God, would you redeem and restore us. Father, we are grateful for the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, we can come to the honest conclusion that what we do doesn't matter apart from Jesus. That the way that we live uh, apart from Christ, we're lost regardless. And so as Paul lays out in his letter to Titus, the, the overarching theme that, that this stems from the gospel message, we give you praise and glory because of your son. Because you have sent our salvation through Jesus. And so, God, I pray that we would, we would press into him, that we, would, that we would confess your name, that we would repent of our sins, that we would walk in obedience to you through baptism. And, Father, that we would experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the, the restoration that as we live this life, he is refining us and redeeming us to make us look more and more like you. So, Father, we, we recognize that, that it starts and ends with Jesus Christ and his shed blood and his broken body. But God, now as, as your church, you have called us to be different. You've called us to live in a way that glorifies and honors you and proclaims and backs up the message that we speak. So God, may the way that we live bring you glory and proclaim the truth of your word. Father, Equipped with your Holy Spirit, may Redbreast Christian Church be a people who live and work with integrity for the truth of the gospel to advance. Father, it's in your name that we pray these things.